to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger, and I have a great episode for all of you out there today. I interviewed my good friend from college, Aaron McGarry. Aaron is a visual development and storyboard artist working at a mobile gaming startup in San Francisco called Class Dojo. Aaron had a fascinating journey. She actually started off as a fine arts major at Princeton before deciding that she wanted to get into the field of mobile games. Erin is an excellent example of someone who had perseverance and drive and a vision for herself so that she could accomplish her dream. I know that all of you will enjoy her interview. So without further ado, I present episode number 21, Interview with Erin McGarry. So I grew up in Texas and then went to school in Princeton for undergrad and then went to Chicago for a year to get a BFA from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and then moved out to California because Alejandro was my boyfriend was doing grad school. And then so while he was in grad school, I was working in Palo Alto. And then once he was done, then I went back and did grad school. And that's how I ended up at Academy of Art. I know a little little roundabout. Hey, that's all right. My journey's the same because I was born in California and then lived in Texas, went back to California, went to Florida, went to New York, went to Colorado, then went oh, back to man, California. You've been even more, made a, more places. It made kind of a weird polygonal type yeah. shape around the United States. So what was your experience like at Princeton? I majored in art history and fine art. So, and I was also a student athlete, so it was, it was unique. It was like art and sports at the same time. Nice blend of the two. I like that you contradict the stereotype because a lot of times it's like, oh, you know, art people aren't good at sports. It's <laughs> yeah. like, that is not true. A lot of artists are great That's, at sports yeah. and you prove that. I was actually talking to Rhonda the other day and she used to play basketball before she got into 3D animation. Oh, that's yep. right. I think she mentioned yeah. that to me once. Yeah, Rhonda is our uh, mutual friend from yes. school. Who is I'll make awesome. sure to reference reference in the next. That's one of the, the tougher things about doing the show is everyone that I've talked to so far, I actually know, you know, I know personally, right. either from school or they're friends of friends. So we'll start talking and then I'll have to remember, wait, the general audience doesn't know the person exactly i i realized that mentioned who they as are. soon as i said rhonda i was like oh i should give some backstory rhonda is our awesome mutual friend and she will be on the show one day i hope because she is really cool and fun her student film is awesome so one day yes what a sport did you play i was a fencer actually for all wow. all four years that's actually how i met my boyfriend he was also on the fencing team hey there you go Mutual love of, I was about to say fighting, but it's not no. really, is it fight? I mean, how would you, how would you describe Sorry. that? Not even sure. Now that I think about it, it seems like a, a world away. How did you choose Princeton? I had looked into RISD. I had actually looked into um, NYU as well. And I got into NYU, but my parents, I think at that point, were still really hoping, you know, that arts is going to be more of a hobby. And I was actually pretty competitive in fencing, so I was recruited by the coach at Princeton because I was on the team for all four years, and they had a, a Division One fencing team, so that was a big draw as well. And again, just a good school and 
a very small art program, but I actually found that that had pros and cons. Cons that it's really small. It's not known for art, but pros, I got to know everyone. It was kind of great. I had a huge studio space to work with. Uh, Senior year, I got to work as the assistant to the gallery manager. So I had access to a ton of materials. So it was kind of awesome getting to explore that. The only downside was they were, it was definitely all fine art, which is why I ended up taking, getting a BFA at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, just so I could take a ton more classes and see what I was really interested in. So I took a Maya course, I took a lot of, a couple of industrial design courses, just to branch out and, and see what I liked. Did you have an idea? And you mentioned branching out to see what you like. Did you kind of have an idea of what it was that you wanted to do? Or was it more of, I'm just going to try everything and see what works? Yeah, it was kind of like, I'm going to try everything. I mean, I've always enjoyed sculpture. So my fine art focus at Princeton was sculpture and ceramics. And I definitely continued taking ceramics in during my time at Chicago I also took a robotics course. Anything working with my hands, I really enjoyed. I took some conceptual sculpture classes, so I did some large scale. I got into fabrics, like fabric sculptures, because while I was in Chicago, I actually interned for a costume designer that worked there, so that was a lot of fun as well. And then when I got out to California, that's when I kind of found this whole world of games and animation, which I wasn't familiar with when I was growing up. Once I got out to California and I learned more about just games and animation, I actually took a couple of courses at Ohlone College, which is the local community college, because then I was able to do, you know, I took Flash, Photoshop, I took Dreamweaver, just to learn all the programs for relatively cheap. And then from there, I started to get really interested in mobile games. Had you been a gamer growing up? Had you played a lot of video games or watched a lot of cartoons as a kid? No, I, so my mom was old school. She was like, only so much TV, only so much time on the computer, spend the rest of your day outside, like doing what? I don't care. (laughs) You just have to be outside. (laughs) So, But in college, a ton of my friends got really into the Xbox. So I actually started to play a lot of rock band, a ton of Halo. All my friends were playing Halo at the time. So I got into that. I called it a good day if my kill count was above, you know, zero. I was in the positives. (laughs) Oh, man. I I have respect for Halo. I tried playing Halo once. It is depressing to know that you're just like, you know that the person you're playing is probably 10 and they're just kicking your butt the entire time. Well, in my case, the person I was playing was my 11-year-old cousin at the time. So you have that going on. But the thing is, I wanted to play it because I would watch all the, you know, the the cut scenes and the cut scenes were amazing. I thought, wow, this looks amazing. I said, hey, I want to play. And he was all excited because he's like, my, you know, my, my big cousin wants to play video games with me. This is great. And we were in some kind of vehicle and I kept running into a wall and I just got really mad. I'm like, this is not okay. (laughs) This is no... Yeah. And then and then when I was in Chicago, after I left Chicago, one of my best friends there, he plays video games like all the time on his spare time. And so, to you know, to kind of keep in touch with him, I basically would log on to Xbox. And yeah, so my friend played Call of Duty. So I would basically like campaign with him and he he would basically do all the playing. And I just kind of followed in the background, like three steps behind him. 
It's like, what's going on? All right, let's go in here. Hey, why don't you go first exactly, and take out exactly. everyone and I'll, I'll cover the, the plane. People and I'm just going to yeah. waltz in five minutes later. Don't worry. I got your back, bro. It'll be totally fine. <laughs> Good deal. All right. So, yeah. so your friends introduced you to the wonderful world. But that's like all the, the console gaming. I, I got really mm-hmm. interested in the, in the mobile games. The kind of fast, cute, really easy to make. You can have two people make a, I don't know, you can have one person make an app, especially if they're like a programmer who can draw. And you had made, was it before school or while you were in school that you made that one game? Because I remember you were showing that to me in class once. Yeah, so I did an internship one summer for a company. It was basically a mobile gaming startup. And they never really got off their feet, but I met a lot of great people there. And then so five of us decided, you know what, we can do this. So we developed a concept, made the characters. We all sat down and divided levels amongst us. And we ended up launching a mobile game for the iPad and released it through the Apple Store, which is a ton of fun and just a great hands-on way to learn about everything, you know, from concepting your idea out to designing the levels to putting the characters in. So just working out all the kinks. I mean, it was a pretty simple, easy, it was a 2D side scroller about a little tiger who his spaceship has crashed. And so each level he's having to collect, you know, a piece of his spaceship to build it back together. And he's having to confront different aliens that live on the planet. What's the name of the game? It was called Zero the Hero. It was released probably two years already. So I don't think it's still on the store because I know you have to renew the license, I think. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't think I could find it now because I know it was there for at least a year. So it's just like Apple's terms of service where you just have to renew every year for a fee or how does that work? Yeah, so I remember when put it on the store, we had to pay a fee to basically be able to make it live on the App Store. And then I think after a year, from what I remember, you have to renew it. But I don't know if that's still the same. Take our word for it, folks. It was very cute. All right. So you moved to California and you said you were working in Palo Alto? Mm-hmm. Yep. I was actually working as an office manager for a prototyping company at the time that worked right next door to IDEO, which is a big design company. So a lot of our projects we got from them. What exactly is a prototyping company? What does that entail? So it's basically like the first step. If you have an idea for a product, you would go and you would pitch your product and we can basically make anything, be it plastic, metal, wood. And we would just make like a physical example of your product that you could then use, you know, if you want to include it in a pitch or you want to show potential investors. Or even if the designers, so sometimes we had designers come and we would do a couple iterations of it and then they would make the design and then we'd go back and incorporate those and sit back down again with the designers and they'd see what it is, if they liked it, if it was ready to go. A lot of having to sign non-disclosure agreements before before getting to see what the is. Those are fun. <laughs> exactly. My internship was like that. It was funny. People would ask me, oh, what are you working on? And tell them, I can tell you in about 2022, I'll let you know. Yeah, I can tell you in very vague terms without really telling you anything at all. 
I couldn't even do that. I was just like, we're working on things. Exactly. You know, that that's, that's just, I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to get I fired. I can tell you so, it's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah, we're working it's a on- physical item. You can touch it. I can't tell you what it's made out of. Yeah. You know, if it comes out, then I'll tell you I worked <laughs> on it. And if it never sees the light of day, then yeah, you don't know anything it about it. So it's like it was never there. Yeah, which I imagine has to be tough working for years on something you love and having decide, well, you know, it's not going to work out after all. I know. It's all part of the process. So what made you decide then to go to Academy of Art? I looked basically, I knew I wanted to stay in the area because my boyfriend Alejandro was working at that point and he had just gotten his job in San Francisco and we moved out to Oakland. So I know I wanted, you know, the commute, the area, the location, and the Bay Area is a pretty good spot for mobile games as well. So it was just kind of an easy decision. Yeah, I took the classes at Ohlone first, made sure that this was what I really wanted to do, really enjoyed those. I took a couple of like two game design courses where you just talk about building out levels. I did a really simple Unity memory game in the class and really enjoyed that. Felt like it was a pretty simple decision for Academy of Art because they had at the time they had illustration and they also had game design. So I was pretty on the fence between those two majors and actually talked to the directors of both of them eventually ended up deciding on illustration just mainly because illustration allowed my art skills that I could practice my art skills pretty well. And then I was reassured that that, you know, was first and foremost, and then you could take those skills and apply them across the board via animation or games. As soon as I started school about a semester in, that's when they had the visual development program open up, which really was the best of both worlds. So I switched over into the School of Visual Development. I remember when that happened, people flocked into that <laughs> yes. department. Everyone was like, well, I'm in illustration right now, but should I, should I make the switch? And I think often it was just, if you were already so many years into like program, you just stayed the course. But if it was like myself, I was only a semester and I was like, okay, I can make the switch and the, the credits just transfer over. So I'm definitely going to do it. Makes sense. What were some of the challenges that you faced going to school? Because you already had you already had an mm-hmm. art background in fine arts. So, but what were some of the challenges that you found once you got into the visual development department? Uh, for me, I think it was the learning curve, really, of doing digital art. So, because I was coming from a more traditional background, you know, the classes where it's like go out and sketch, painting, all the more traditional mediums were easy, but I had yeah, my learning curve for Photoshop was, I think, the biggest thing. Like now, I, and you know, it's been three plus years, I finally feel comfortable with my Photoshop skills. I feel like they're on par with uh, my traditional skills. And while you were working at school, were there any games in particular that you were playing or that you saw that made you think, that's the style I want to go for? That's the level of art that I want my art to look like? For mobile games, there was one in particular. I actually bought it. So this is going to sound horrible, but I'm always like, with so many free mobile games out there, why would I spend 99 cents for anything? I'm like, it's like, I refuse. I just want to see, you know, you download everything that's for free. But there was one game that I loved the artwork so much that I, I think it was like $3.99 for the game. 
it was called uh, Badlands, and the background art for that's just awesome. What are most mobile games like? I admit that I haven't played a whole lot of them, so I'm not too terribly familiar with them, but are they all extremely varied? Are they kind of similar? Like, what's the landscape like for mobile games? I think they can be pretty across the board. So there's one. So Badland was basically the backgrounds are these beautiful illustrations. And then the characters themselves are these fuzzy creatures that float. And everything in the foreground is black. So it's this high contrast between the really colorful backgrounds. And you're trying to get them. It's basically like a 2D side scroller, but it's so it's constantly moving and you're trying to get the little creatures through this environment without having them get killed. So that's a lot of fun. I feel like it was pretty, pretty basic, but still fun. There was another great one called, I'm looking up right now because we also played that one. Well, I, I actually played this one on the Xbox and like the arcade game section that, you know, you can play various games. It was called Limbo. Okay, so Limbo, which I also really enjoyed, is black and white, but the artwork's super cool. And you're basically getting this kid through an environment, and it's all these different ways that he can die. But they're kind of, they're kind of horrific deaths, <laughs> but it's this little boy, and the entire environment's black and white, but it's just creepy. And I really enjoyed that one. And another one I got really into at the time was called Tiny Wings which was just a super simple game made by one guy. And it was just a bird who can't fly. So he has to like slide down these hills and then you basically control it just with a finger tap to the screen. And it's just using physics. So it shoots off the hill and goes high into the sky and you're like trying to collect points and you're trying to keep the bird moving as long as possible it was just so simple yet so addictive. And I think that's part of the reason I'm really interested in mobile games. It's how to create like a really good game design. And as far as mobile games go, I mean, now I know that mobile games are super popular, you know, millions of people are playing them. Do they get the same level of respect that the console games get like on the same, you know, level playing field Do people look at them and just say, Hey, it's all games. It's great. Or, are console games viewed in higher esteem? Like, how does that work? I think it depends who you ask. So clearly, I would say that there's just as much creativity and uniqueness in a mobile game. But I've definitely heard other people, especially those that play mainly console games, kind of look down on the mobile games. Like, oh... People don't take gaming seriously because all they're thinking about are mobile games. And I'm I'm just not in agreement. I think it can be just as interesting if it's a really well-designed game. So another one that I did pay for, actually, was called The Room. And you basically enter the room, and it's just a box. It's a puzzle box, and you have to work your way around this box. And it's 3D, so you can turn it around, and there are all these clues everywhere. And it's slowly, so you have to solve each clue until you unlock another box within the box. And it's great. It's just, it's an awesome game. And I think something like that is super creative, very simple, and unique. And it's still a mobile game. 
And I like what you said about how it's unique, because I have noticed with the onslaught of more and more mobile games that it's bringing in people that I would say traditionally would not have considered themselves Mm -hmm. gamers. You know, like before it was the stereotype of, well, you know, it's either people that are really young, like boys and girls, because I remember like I used to play games all the time before I got to like age 12. So it'd either be really young kids or like guys. (laughs) And that was it. But now you see, you know, you're on BART or on the subway and you see like moms, dads, high school girls, high school guys, grandparents, like you see a wide spectrum Mm -hmm. of playing games. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Besides like the wide spectrum of people, are there industry trends that you're noticing with how the games are developed or that the types of games being made or how they're being marketed to people? I think it just depends where you work. And I've also heard that, you know, a lot of times the biggest group of people that tend to play mobile games are women, older women. Really? So while I was interning at Zynga, that's one of the things I had learned. And also that there are a few people that just will spend a massive amount of money in a mobile game. So, you know, any of these like farming games, for example, I got into the ice age building game myself for a little while. That it's just a small percentage, but the amount of money they spend is quite a lot. And I think they call them the whales of the games. Whales of the game. Why, why is that? Remembering this correctly. Um, just because they're the ones that are going to spend just a ton of money. Oh, they're calling the people playing the games the whales of the games. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. That's, huh. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Do they know that that's what they're being so. called? <laughs> and that could have just been okay. at let's, my let's time there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So. Let's get into that. So you were at school, and how did you get your internship at Um, Zynga? So the manager who I ended up working with on my team, he knew uh, one of the co-directors and had asked him for a list of potential interns. And so the co-director reached out to me and asked if I was interested, and I said definitely. So I was put on a list of students that were recommended for it. And then I went in and interviewed with the team. And then a few weeks later, got a call back saying that they'd love to have me. And I let them know that I, you know, I was still finishing my last semester and they were fine with that. So worked with my schedule. I took my last class. I had class on Saturdays. I worked full-time Monday through Fridays and then worked on my thesis at night. So it was The last six months of school were exhausting, but worth it. Definitely a ton of fun. And I got to work on a lot of fun projects or, you know, just do things I hadn't done before and get to see the work environment, which was um, enjoyable. And I really got along with all the people I worked with as well. And this was the co-director of the visual development department that recommended you, right? So what were some of the things that you did while you were at Zynga? What does uh, being an intern um, there entail? I actually, so I worked with a team called the the Central Creative Services. That's it, Central Creative Services. So just CCS for short. So what they did is they actually outsourced a lot of art for the different teams. And then also we handled 
a number of the marketing ads as well. So I got to work on a variety of projects for different games, including Words with Friends, the Farmville franchises, Hit It Rich. So yeah, it was just really good in the sense that I got to do a, a little bit of everything. Do you have a favorite game that you worked on? Definitely. Uh, the Farmville franchises, because the art was super cute. It was in my style. They gave me a lot of leeway for like laying out the marketing ads and getting to uh, make them. So that was a lot of fun. And for the students out there who are fortunate enough to get an internship while they're in school, but are also going to school full time and potentially also working on their thesis projects. How did you manage your time so that you were able to, you know, devote the time you needed to each thing? <laughs> Learn to love coffee and Google everything Google. I had an entire Google chart system created. And granted, I would have not been able to finish my thesis had it not been for my boyfriend. He is very organized. So he sat down and created this entire timesheet for me where I basically had a schedule. So I was like, okay, I have three months left before this thesis book is due. So we sat down and basically wrote out a time schedule for every single page that needed to be created for the, for the art of book that I was going to present with buffer time at the end to get it printed time to get my materials together for presentation. I mean, we planned it all out. So it was a very tight schedule because if I fell behind one day, that pushed everything out. I think we gave ourselves three or four day wiggle room at the very end to basically say everything's done. But, you know, if worse came to worse, we could extend it like three days. I'm picturing this spreadsheet now, and that is amazingly organized. Wow, that's a really good idea. It, it had to be. I'm thinking back to, to my time in school thinking I would have benefited from that type of, that type of planning because I had a spreadsheet, but I don't know how well I followed it. It was like, eh, whatever, we're going to do yeah. work on this. I other should, thing I right should mention that my boyfriend is a lawyer, so he is very good with like the spreadsheets and the calendars and staying on track of things. So. Now, what was your thesis? So my thesis story was about two stuffed animals who were friends. And one day, as they're being washed, there's a vortex and they get sucked through and they end up landing in the land of lost socks. I called it Adventures in the Land of Lost Socks. And then once they are in the world, basically when they fell through the vortex, they got separated. So the one stuffed animal who's really timid and shy basically has to find his strength and battle all the creatures that exist in this world. And eventually he ends up against the boss creature, which is the evil sock monster, and his name's Argyle. And so he has to battle him in order to save his friend, and then they escape through the dryer back to their world. That is delightful. Did you turn that into a game as well, or is that purely going to stay a children's book? No, it, act it actually started off when I was first concepting the idea and developing as a simple mobile game. So it was like you had, you had the main character who was a stuffed animal and you could choose from a variety of stuffed animals. And on each level, he basically had to collect a quarter because he needed four quarters to activate the dryer in order to portal back home. 
So each level was a different level, and he would have to fight a boss monster at the end of that level in order to achieve the quarter. That is delightful. I like it. And what were some of the things, too, since you were working on that, but you were also at Zynga, when you got to... Trying to figure out how to say it, but... Are there some things that I learned at Zynga that I was applying to my thesis at the same time? Is that what you're trying to say? That is a great question. That was not what I was <laughs> yes. going to ask, but I like your question better. Oh, yeah. So yes, I'll have you answer that. Okay. And then I'll ask when I figure out how to phrase my question, please do tell how Zynga influenced your thesis. Organization is key. Wow, did I learn how to appreciate a really good organizational system for Photoshop files and Illustrator files and just having everything dated and just making sure to name all your layers and then saving everything appropriately in all their folders. Because often we'd get these requests from a game team. They'd be like, yeah, we had this like marketing material that was made Mm, a couple of months ago, and we'd really like you to now resize it into these six different sizes. And they only had a screenshot available. So it was up to us to basically track down the original artwork, if it existed in-house or if it was an outsourced artist that had created it. And if they had sent, you know, if they had sent along the PSD files with the artwork that they were turning in. So nothing was worse than finding out that you had, a, you know, a a Photoshop file, but you open it and it's actually just all the layers have been merged into a screenshot. And you're like, oh, oh. I have to build this back from scratch. Oh, man. So definitely learned organization and it just made everything faster, you know, and also just learning a lot more of the Photoshop shortcuts and applying that to like my own work at home. Very, very helpful. Okay. And now I, I remember what I was going to ask. How was Zynga, and later Class Dojo, we'll get into that a little bit later, but how was, how was Zynga different from being in school? What were some things that surprised you about being on the job? Um, I think my team was really good at, you know, first they saw, okay, well, they gave me a few projects and then let me work on those for a longer bit of time. I think they were just gauging my capabilities, what it is I could do, what it was I was comfortable with. And then as they saw that, then they began to increase the amount of work. So that was really nice that I, I you know, they guided me into it. But just deadlines, you know, having really set deadlines, it's like you, you can't say, oh, well, this came up or that came up. So I didn't hit the deadline. No, you need to resize like 65 images. They need to be done in the next three days because this is when the launches. And so it's just making sure that you're able to balance a lot of projects and meet all the deadlines and also knowing when to say, okay, I have, you know, this is how much I can do on my plate right now. So if something else comes up, just being really clear that like, okay, I can get to this, but at this point in time so that everyone knows what you're, your time frame is. I remember taking a class, actually my last class, a class that I was taking on Saturdays, where our teacher, who was amazing, the class was amazing, but I wish I'd been able to spend even more, dedicate more time to it. But we were expected to have two fully finished paintings each week, which at the time to me and everyone else in the class just seemed 
it's impossible. Impossible, I say, to have two fully like thought out finished paintings. But now that I work at Class Dojo, I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. It's like... <laughs> preparing you for the real world it's like oh you think two's a lot (laughs) (laughs) just wait oh we've decided to change the concept okay we're gonna need to uh start from scratch again get ready to paint another two (laughs) it's like oh no (laughs) all right and actually that is a perfect segue to next question which is how did you land your job at class dojo so class dojo was completely by fate i want to say i had a friend who actually got a contract there working as a recruiter. And this was right around when Class Dojo was just starting development on the videos that they're now launching for the growth mindset. And they needed an illustrator. And my friend said, you know what? I happen to know an illustrator. And so I got a call from her that asked if I was interested in a contract position doing a series of animations And I said yes, and then we kind of just went from there. Very good. And what are you doing over at Class Dojo? I work as a storyboard artist slash marketing artist slash illustrator for all their animations. So a little bit of everything because it is a startup. So while I was basically the past two months, we've been grinding out the videos. And then now that those are done, I've actually been doing uh, more marketing art. But I think I'll be working pretty soon again on animations. And by marketing art, is that brochures or commercials? Like what does that entail? It's basically layouts for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, along with icons, well, not icons, but illustrations for their website as well. And I'm curious too, now that you've, what's, uh, what are some of the differences now that you've worked at Zynga and now that you're at Class Dojo, you know, what were some of the skills that you were able to bring from Zynga into your new job? I think organizational, again, I know it sounds, it sounds so silly, but it really makes a huge difference. So Zynga, the team I worked with had just a great system of file management that I've kept to while working at Class Dojo just makes everything easier in terms of sharing, especially because I work so closely with the motion graphics person that it makes it a lot easier to just have all my files easily laid out because then after I'm done with all of them, I have to keep them organized because I'm basically sending everything over to him. Everything has to be on separate layers and labeled properly because then he's going in there and taking all of those art assets and animating them. And since you're at a a new place too and learning new things, how do you keep yourself, you know, fresh on what's going on in the industry? Do you go to industry conferences? Are you on message boards? What do you do? Honestly, the past two and a half months, I haven't done much but work because it's been long days. But I really do enjoy going to a lot of the conventions. So and then even just some of the local, you know, art events in San Francisco. Luckily, there's always a ton of stuff to do. I had gone to one of Vector magazines. They had a lot of their artists out. And so we went over there and just saw their work. And that was actually an event held by AAU. So that was nice. And then I love going to the Creative Talent Network when I can. I went to APE the past two years. and 
also Fort Mason always has some great art events too that they hold. Yeah, I try, you know, just try and get out there. And I also really enjoy landscape painting. So for the past year, I've been part of a studio slash gallery in Berkeley. Because of actually the limit on my time now, I recently pulled out of my spot at the gallery, but I'm still in touch with everyone that's there. I know the person who took over in the space that I was in. So it's kind of nice just to have a community and to just be able to, especially if you're working so long on digital, take a break, do some traditional, go back and forth. I think that keeps it fun and fresh. And I always love seeing what other people are doing too. I keep in touch with all my friends that are also artists. That's great. And you mentioned community, and that actually brings me back to something you had mentioned before, which was that, you know, more and more women are using mobile games, especially older women, which is awesome. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how is the gaming industry doing as far as women are concerned? Do you see more women entering the industry? Do you see more of the games taking a positive view of women? What is your take on that? Well, you know, again, I guess I can only speak from my own experiences, but at Zynga, I thought it was very evenly matched men to women. They also held a women in games talk after work one day, which was great to go to. A lot of people went out. They had some of the women at working at Zynga come and speak. So that was really nice. And just how they got into their own roles. And I think from what I gauged and what other women were saying, yes, you know, it still tends to be very male dominated, but I think it's becoming more and more open to women and involving women. And definitely there are games out there that focus on women. So at women as the main consumers of the product. That is great. And you mentioned women in games and getting to talk to people. And that actually brings me to the next question, which was, did you have mentors while you were navigating through the industry, not just at Academy of Art, but at Princeton or at Zynga or at Class Dojo or just people that you just looked up to that you wanted to model your work after? I mean, I definitely had people I, I, def- I reached out to that helped me along the way that, you know, if I had any questions, they were always available, which is great. I think model my work after... I think one of the most awesome teachers while I was at AAU was Scotland Barnes. He was always available to talk to and he just had a great work ethic. And that's always, I feel like that's just really inspiring how much he worked at his goals made me just realize, okay, if I really want this and I put the effort into it, I'll get there. Yeah. Scotland was a great teacher and now he's here, which is pretty awesome. I know. All, all you guys are moving down to Los Angeles. Is this, this just a sign of the times of mass yeah. exodus? Yeah, I saw him the other day at an event, actually. It was really nice. I was like, hey, oh, how really? are you doing? That's awesome. How did you go about reaching out to your mentor? You mentioned that you reached out to them. Did you send an email or did you have a coffee with people? Like, did you have a strategy of here's how I'm going to present myself to these folks to get to talk to them? I mean, with Scotland, he was always just available and he was actually teaching or not teaching, but you know how you could go and take, they had the classes that everyone was allowed to go to at AAU. Oh, like the workshops after class? Yeah. So he had one workshop and this was when two friends and myself, we were applying to the Nickelodeon shorts program. 
we had done a, you know, we had a story. And so we asked Scotland if it was okay to actually come in and work on it during his workshop time. And he was definitely for it. So we were really good at going every week at night because it was like from seven to nine once a week. So I would get out of work and then just stop right on by because it wasn't that far away. And we all worked on it. And he gave us his advice every week on what we needed to tweak, what we needed to add to our pitch packet. So that was very good. And then if I had ever had any questions to Chris Carmen, who's the co-director for the visual development department was another person that asked a lot of questions, especially because he's very mobile games geared. So I was able to reach out and ask him for his advice on a lot of stuff too. I'd always just, you know, office hours were great. Even now I have my AAU alumni card. I can stop by. And his wife actually works at Zynga. So while I was at Zynga, I asked to meet with her just to chat with her during lunch one day. And she was able to do that. And that was also awesome. So I find that if you just reach out and you, you have questions and you just let people know that you'd love to learn or you want to talk about a certain subject. Everyone's super friendly. This is the truth. I noticed some of the people that helped me the most were my teachers, but also the people that graduated one or two years before I did. I feel like a good reason why I did well in school was because I remember the first year I was in lab, there would be like me and a handful of other people at my same you know year level but everybody else was working on their thesis. And so the first two semesters of school, I just hung out with people that were about to graduate. And I just learned so much, not only about how to animate and storyboard, but just how to do my thesis and how to manage my time and how to give my presentation. And they would tell me horror stories that basically have, you see how much I have to still do? Don't do what I'm doing. Do start sooner. I'm like, ah, okay. So- no, it's true. Actually, Did you know Alger Tam? Yes, I did meet Alger Tam. Yes, and Alger Tam. So the reason I mentioned these books in particular is because Sherry had these books because Mm -hmm. they were done before I had to do my thesis. So those were like, and then there was one other student. I didn't know him personally, which is why I'm blanking on his name, but I do remember his thesis book because Sherry, who I should mention is, she's the director of animation, correct? Yes, she is. Uh, She's, yeah, she's she's the, the, the uh, they changed it. She's the... 2D director of animation for the grad program. Okay, okay, good. Yeah, there's, there's all. It's like, yeah, your, just your just details for, are better than mine. Yeah, well, but she has those. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say for those listening, our school has a lot of layers. There's so there's like different divisions yeah, and different. True. I mean, I imagine that most schools are the same way. I don't, I don't think that's atypical of how most art schools work. That is true. Yeah, I would I would actually agree to that or as opposed to my time in Chicago. Yeah. But so so long story short, Sherry had her top I wouldn't say her top books, but she had examples of very well done layouts for the thesis book. And she had those three. And we had also Chris Carmen had shown us a couple of his favorite examples. And one of them was by a girl who I actually have her art of book now because I, I hunted her down at eight last year. So I could buy her, her book of of work that were just really well done. So I kind of used those as my guidelines 
when I was laying out my own book, which was like what you were saying, you know, to have those examples to build off of are great. So it's kind of seeing like, well, what really worked for them and how can I push it even further? You know, like take what was great and make it even better if possible. Yeah. So that was always, I thought that was extremely helpful. I did too. I kind of liken it to uh, having a bit, an older brother or an older sister who's telling you, hey, I did this. Don't do that. But I also did this. But that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so by the time you get to that point, you already know how things work and you know what mistakes not to make or, you know, what things worked out well. Exactly. And then I, I also remember whenever they had spring show, I would go around and photograph all of the people's artwork who made it onto the wall, especially the ones, you know, that were like chosen in the categories. Cause if, I don't know if this has been explained, but AAU holds a spring show, which students have to, you have to apply to get into. So everyone who's gotten into it, it's because, They've been vetted through this process of, you know, all the teachers, I guess, just looking at it and choosing which ones they'll have shown. So needless to say, it's always the strongest work, I think, that's shown at the spring show. So it's always good to to take photos of all the artwork available. And I just always wrote down all the artist names, especially those that I thought, you know, similar style, but definitely further along. And then looked up their blogs online, see if they have any special tutorials, show their work process. And then it's just great continuously building your, your inventory of, of inspiration. I agree. I did the same thing that you did. I met one of the guys that graduated before me who now he's working over at Sony. And I remember emailing him and calling nice. him and just peppering him with questions like, Hey, you're, you're a professional now. How did you do it? What did you yeah. do? Tell me your secrets, <laughs> which basically awesome. boiled down to work really, 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 really hard. <laughs> it's true. That's, that's, I mean, I remember going into, so one of the buildings, the Montgomery building, they had a lab, a uh, computer lab that students could go to free for anyone to use, open almost all the time. And if you would go there and you saw the same people day in, day out, it's where you work, but remember it was like that. Oh yeah, the Cintiq lab. Yeah, and I have to give the caveat. So this is this is the basement. So it was the all of us all of us basement dwellers and you're you're absolutely right. I saw the same the same lab techs who are awesome, but shout out to Ryan. You know, Ryan, if you're listening, awesome lab tech. Thanks for all your help. But <laughs> No, he was he was a cool guy. And but you're right. I would see I would see you and I would see Gus and I would see the same 10 to 15 people every day. We were like the the mole people. We never let we'd get there like at 9 a.m. and leave around like 10 or 11. We just never saw the sun. I remember seeing Edgar Kim down there and this was before I, I knew him. And then I met him a few times afterwards. But he was working on his portfolio, and I was like, well, that's just an amazing piece. And I kept coming down there, and he was always there. And I was like, you're always working. Needless to say, he's, I think he was interning, and now he's working full-time at Disney Interactive, so right after graduation. So you just feel like at the end of the day, it's the amount of work you put into it. You just got to keep mm -hmm. working. Yeah, and work beyond school, too, because I think uh... – you know, you worked really hard and you got your internship in school and that's awesome and amazing. And for some people that happens and then other people, it doesn't happen. And I think that the key to remember is if it doesn't happen right away, it doesn't mean it won't. 
You just have to keep yeah, exactly. working on it and, you know, redo your portfolio. You got to take extra classes, read some more books, go to more seminars. It will eventually happen. You just have to keep going. What I found is my ticket to the keep going, especially if, you know, there's a, a lax in a project or I have time off is landscape painting. It forces me to actually leave the apartment because I don't, you know, sometimes you're at the computer and you can wait. You're like, Oh, I'm on Pinterest looking at all these great artists. And three hours later, I haven't painted a single thing because I'm looking at all of these other people's artwork. I started to make a point of just driving to all the little parks that are in Oakland and being like, I'm just going to paint. And it might not be perfect. It might be complete crap. One day I spent eight hours out. I had painted this entire little cityscape and then I was like, oh, I want to change this one thing. And then I changed it. I was like, oh, that doesn't look. And then by the end of it, I had this like abstract gray blob. And I was like, eight hours in the sun. I'm pretty sure I'm sunburned. <laughs> but it was worth it. Even though I had nothing to show for it, it was worth it just because you're going to get better just by doing it. It's hard. Yeah. Sometimes you get, there have definitely been times where I'm like, oh, I'm not good enough. Am I ever going to get good enough? I feel like I'm behind. Just there's not enough time ever catch up I've but. often felt that way it's it's weird I'll have it'll yeah. be the same day like I'll work on something and think this looks great an hour later oh man why just why <laughs> am I even, I'll, I'll tell yes. you I'll tell you what the first time I went to CTN and we were going to CTN and just being blown away by the sheer number of people and everyone I talked to was so nice and I got to meet all my heroes I but I remember standing in the main hall and just looking out at everybody, I could very clearly tell who was a student, you know, because they were all carrying portfolios. And I just had this thought of the industry does not need us. There are so many people <laughs> who are already in the so, industry yes. who are amazing. They don't yes. need to hire us. What do they need us for? And I remember just immediately just feeling horribly depressed. Just thought, oh, why am I even here? Why are we I even am- trying? You know, it's like, uh. See, I feel that way. I know your pain because I have def- I have felt that way so many times. But then I have to remind myself, mm-hmm. it's okay. I'm sure even the greats have had their moments where they had to struggle to get where they are now. I'm prepared for the long haul. I'm in it for the long haul. So I just have to keep yeah, reminding that myself. That is so true. And that's actually one of the reasons why I'm doing this show because... You know, everyone that I've interviewed, all of y'all are working. And some people, you know, I went to school with and they're working and other people were mentors or friends and they've been working in the industry for close to a decade. And everyone has felt that. Even the people where you look at their work and you just think, oh, well, they were born and then they were able to draw the end. They're just, uh, <laughs> no, that, that's they had to work really hard. And sometimes they had to work at really lousy jobs that had nothing to do with art and struggled and lived off oh, of ramen oh, yeah. and their parents are like why are you what what are you doing this is a job oh I know that's what I love thinking because I'll look at my resume these days and I'm like oh it's it's finally sounding legit I'm starting to get a history and but for every job that's on there I've done four jobs that's not art related mm-hmm. at all just just to get a paycheck, just to keep working out, doing what I do love. So yeah, I've had a ton of jobs. Even though they weren't art related, I still had fun jobs. And you know, it's like the people you work with, they were still good experiences. It's just, it's just you do what you have to do. That's all. 
And I like what you said, for every one job, you've had four other jobs that aren't there. I think that's a key thing for people to know. And just, and I'm sure a lot of people know this, but a lot of people may not. LinkedIn, Facebook, Tumblr, Pinterest, Instagram, that's the highlight reel. That's not real life. Yes. That is yes. the perception and story that you tell the world about yourself. But that's not necessarily the whole story. They're not including oh, yeah, the yeah. jobs they had, you know, waiting tables or in retail or babysitting or dog walking, jobs they got fired from, jobs where they walked in and went, oh, no, and just up and quit. You're not seeing, you're necessarily seeing the whole thing. So you don't have to feel bad thinking, oh, they just, it's not like they were in school yeah, and then nope. they immediately had this great job, the end. no. Sometimes there's there's a lot of other stuff happening behind the scenes. Yeah, when I lived in Palo Alto, I definitely nannied. Even while I was working as an office manager, I still nannied at nights too. For a great family, loved the the kids were awesome. We basically would like get together and like make up stories and then go hang out in the yard with like these made up stories. But I did that for two and a half years. Let's see. I've also worked at a bakery at a pizza place. I've been an account person at uh, like a big team softball. So it was like a sporting center. Did office work there. So yeah, had a lot of jobs just to, you know, support yourself. But you need to because I mean, school's not cheap. No matter where you go, it's yeah. college tuition is something that's in the news every day for good reason because it's, it's very exactly. expensive and you have to if college is what you want to do you have to figure out a way to pay for it yeah when i worked at the bakery and then i got to bring oh. home all the baked goods that was kind of awesome i think i definitely gained a few pounds though i can cook a really good bread pudding to this day that is great i mean that's i would say one of the great things about because i used to be an extra and do like print modeling. And I was also a production assistant for a reality television show. And one of the best parts about that was I'd always bring home food for me and my roommate because there'd always be right? yes. more food than anyone ever needed at craft services. And they always let us bring whatever they want home. Yes. And I remember we had one shoot where they bought too much. And so I brought home whole trays of food. We had like three of them in the fridge and we ate that for like four or five days straight. It was great you know, cookies the size of your face. To this day, I can't say no uh, to free food. It's yeah, just even if been ingrained in me. If it's free, yeah. I'm taking it home. I don't care whether I like the yeah. taste of well, the food Because you're remembering not, those days in school where you're free. just like, it's free. You know, I may need right. this for winter. You never know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And actually, <laughs> I like what you mentioned about, a, you know, going home and bringing it home because that actually is a nice segue too. And you, you kind of touched on this earlier because you were talking about how like you and Alejandro had massive spreadsheets of time and whatnot. How do you have, you know, just nice, significant other family time? I know that's an issue that a lot of people are curious about, like work-life balance and having a significant yeah, other or, you know, people that might have kids or might one day want to be in that situation. How do you keep work at work so that you can both just enjoy your time together? I guess I would say it helps a little that, so Alejandro, a little backstory, Alejandro and I met at Princeton. I'm going to date myself here because we've been dating now for 11 years. So it's been a while. 
And I actually think we handle our work life versus personal life really well. Granted, we don't have kids. We do have one very large dog and two rabbits. But Alejandro tends to work just as much or actually usually more than I do. So on that sense, it's actually helpful because then I, you know, you don't feel this burden like, oh, I got to go home because they've been waiting all day. Actually, Alejandro and I commute in every morning together, which is like 30 minutes of us getting to hang out. So that's super helpful and also rare, I understand. And then if we're both still in the city working, we will just meet up afterwards because we don't work that far from each other either. And then we can commute home and grab dinner together. So that's pretty helpful. Right now, uh, this week in particular, his uh, work schedule has been pretty crazy. Like today, I was break today, actually, because we're going to start gearing up again next week. So I just kind of hung out with the dog and just chilled. But on the weekends, I don't know, we're really good at just being able to hang out, turning it off for a while. And I also enjoy having personal space. So, you know, if he needs to travel for work, I actually take that time to go hang out with my girlfriends. So <laughs> I, I enjoy being able to spend a lot of time with my friends as well. So, and I think he also enjoys being able to hang out with his friends. So I think we respect, you know, our time that way. So I think with kids, it'll be different, but that's still a few years down the okay. line. So we'll see. <laughs> ask, ask and seven years, seven years, man, seven years. Yeah, yeah, maybe seven years earlier. when, when we'll all the, the friends that were starting out are all like directors and producers and things. It's like, so yeah. now that you've made like this monumental <laughs> thing, <laughs> that's pretty great. All right, so what uh, future projects do you have in store? Like, are you working on any personal projects right now? There is a personal project that. I and a friend of mine, went, did you ever meet, uh, speaking of AAU students, Liz Gordon? Yeah, actually, she stayed here at my house for CTN. So she and I have thought about doing, we have a really fun children's story that we want to illustrate. And she does great characters. Like, I love her characters. So our plan is that I'll actually do the background paintings more traditionally and then she would put these like really fun super animation style characters on the top and then we would illustrate this story together and I actually am I was just thinking about that last week that I want to reach out to her and kind of get the ball rolling on that I think that'd be a really fun side project to be working on especially because we thought if we have enough time, we could basically create it and then print it out and maybe go to Ape and just show it for fun, you know, just as a great side project. I think that's another thing. Yeah. Having a lot of fun side projects, you know, even if you can't do one right after the other, right after the other, just to have always something in the queue. It keeps is, things fresh. Nice. And I find that it, like you were talking about earlier with signing NDAs, you know, a lot of times if you're working on a project, even if it does get made, it may not get seen for a year, two years, you know, whoever knows how long. So it's always good to have, you know, exactly. just for your own personal, you know, personal benefit, just to work on something that you like, but also something that you can post. Yeah, something mm -hmm. you can actually talk about yeah. and show. Yeah, yeah especially if what you're working too. on ends up not going through. That's been the situation for a couple of people I've talked to, you know, they spend 
a year or two working on something and it's a good idea, but ends up not going through and, you know, it, it's in a, a clo- right. you know, in a box in their closet. They can never show it to anybody. So it's like, I worked on this great thing and the art's beautiful and no one can know. Oh, that would make me so sad. Well, actually, I, I did just work on something that then it was almost finished, but then it got canned. So it's like, oh, darn. The closest I've had to that has been uh, student projects, but that's a little bit different because it's, you know, student projects. Because I worked on a couple of films that for one reason or another, they weren't able to finish them. But that's a little bit mm-hmm. different because a student film, you know, you talk with people and you're like, hey, can I just put this on my site? And everyone said, sure. Yeah, everyone's like really nice about it. It's like pretty chill. That's nice. Yeah. But it's always good to ask because you never know. I mean, they may want to, you know, resurrect the project later on or do something completely different with it. So it's just good to it's just good to ask rather than just say, you know, hey, Internet, here's everything that's going on. Are you and Liz planning on doing a a Kickstarter or Patreon or something of that nature for the book? I don't know. We haven't really talked about it that much. I should ask her. I, I mean, I would be comfortable to even because I don't think it would cost too much money to just fund. But a Kickstarter would always be nice just so that we can cover mm-hmm. the expense of printing it out. Yeah, I find those work well if you uh, do some kind of lead into it. So if you're like constantly posting, you know, on your site, we're coming out with this project or you show mm-hmm. art from it or you have somewhat of a pretty good following. That way, when it first starts, you automatically have built-in people that are really interested yeah interest that is true i would say that's my weak spot i actually don't have instagram or twitter the only thing i have is facebook and my website and the website's more for sending it to professionals especially when applying to jobs i just like to keep it simple i find that facebook is more than like oh i've I've spent so much time and i'm that's enough for me for the day I could, I should probably, but well, I think it depends too on just don't. your goals and how much time you have. I mean, you've done perfectly well without having all of those things, you know, you've gotten good jobs and been able to work on good projects and work with people. I think it's more of a, it's a good publicity tool, but I don't yeah, think I that agree. you necessarily have really to be on thing. every single thing. I think it's more of a pick the few that work best with what you're doing and what you have time for, because there's so, I feel like every week there's some new thing and it's like, and there's something new. Yeah. Too many things. It became almost too much. I think it was a point when people were like, you don't have Tumblr, Instagram, and Twitter all connected to feeds all at once. And I was like, I can't, I don't have time for all of this. I just want a really nice website. Everything will be Mm -hmm. tied into one thing. And then if people need to see it, then I can easily send them this link. Yeah, but I'm pretty bad at the whole social media keeping updated posts. You, uh, I'm sure you're aware and all my other friends are too. I mean, truth be told, I wasn't on a whole lot of things for an extended period of time because it occurred, it was funny, I actually got this from another podcast. I was listening to the Bancroft Brothers podcast, which is an awesome show. And they were talking about how it's good to post often, but sometimes the better thing to do is if you have a project and you know you need to get it done, just spend time on the project. Don't worry about trying to post 
every single day, especially if you're working on something really big. About it. And I thought, you know, that's really good advice yeah. because during Inktober, I did really well with Inktober and I posted a ton of stuff for Inktober. And then after Inktober ended, I started getting more job interviews and informational interviews. And I sat down and realized they gave me a lot of good advice. And if I really want to take their advice, I need to hunker down and work on my portfolio. And that means not posting everything every day. I really need to just have a dedicated amount of time to really look at what I'm doing. And so I didn't post anything for right. a couple of months and I, it felt fine. It's fine to take a break. I, that's how I am. I'll just not be on Facebook for a few months and then get back on and be like, oh, okay, I'll put something on. And then, and then I'm off yeah. again for a while. But yeah, I think it's just whatever you have time mm -hmm. for. And you know what your goals are and what you want to do. I mean, sometimes it's good to be there every day. And sometimes people take an entire year off and they're perfectly fine. I mean, it's, it'll still be there. The internet will still be there. And if your friends yeah. are curious, they can call you. <laughs> you know, it's like everyone's got a phone. They can just <laughs> give you a call and be like, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. How are you doing? So is there anything else that we did not touch on or discuss here that you would like to share? Any other projects or insights with the world of gaming or illustration or any of your jobs or whatnot? I guess not at the current moment. I mean, I can share. So one other project I've been wanting to do for a while living out here in Oakland is there is a ton of great graffiti and I want to start doing a lot more urban landscapes that feature a portion of the graffiti in the painting. I thought that would be really cool. So I think that'll be my next personal side project on the traditional art end of oh, things. I look forward to seeing that. And you'll have to uh, let me know when you have yeah. that, have all that done. That'll be cool to look at. And uh, speaking of social media, yeah. where can people find you online? Where can they see your work? They can see my work and my little sketch blog. It's all linked into one at www.erinmcgarry.com. So that's going to be E-R-I-N-M-C-G-A-R-R-Y.com. I got in early with the name because now there's a really, definitely more famous than me, an actress named I Aaron saw McGarry, that. So. I was looking up, uh, <laughs> I was looking up all yeah. of your work because I've, I've never met anyone with the last name McGarry. And so I was curious. I'm like, I don't know how, how popular is this last name? So I typed it in. And she was in some like very interesting movie. Like that's yeah. not. Yes, this is not my friend. This is someone else. <laughs> yeah. But like all the if yeah, if you Google that name, it's this actress, which makes sense. But I'm really glad I got that website name right before because I'm pretty sure she would have taken yeah. it otherwise. Oh man, yeah, my website, uh, my original domain name, which is. Just AngelaEnsminger.com. I didn't transfer it right or something happened when I tried to transfer it. I didn't put in the DNS oh, servers. No. I don't quite know what happened, but one of those, you know, websites bought it and they were charging two um, grand for it. And I looked at that and went, I don't need it that bad. And so I just made up something else. I'm like, we'll just use this. 
that's my biggest pet peeve when it's not that someone else or some other company is using it. It's just that someone bought it and is now sitting on it to make a yeah. ton of money. I saw that and I'm like, well, I have the .net, the .org, and I'll just make up. That's actually how Sketchy Soul came to be. And actually, I feel like it works out well because it's easier to say and it's easier to spell. And it fits as a oh easier to yeah, spell. And, you know, it fits good. as a tag on a Instagram and Twitter. You know, my last name, ten letter long German name, doesn't fit on anything, so it works out okay. <laughs> well, Aaron, thank you very much for your time. It has been a pleasure talking with you. Yes, thank you for interviewing. Always fun. And that concludes today's interview. Special thanks again to my friend Aaron for being such a wonderful guest. And make sure to check out the links to her portfolio, as well as to some of the videos that she's worked on for Class Dojo in the show notes. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show. And if you'd like to contribute to the show, you can visit www.theanimatedjourney.com and you can click on the PayPal button on the right-hand side. All of your donations go towards helping me keep the show up and running. And thanks to everyone who has donated thus far. And also, while you're on the site, make sure to check out all of our affiliate sponsors, Amazon, Audible, Loot Crate, and Blueberry Podcast Hosting. When you click on the banner ads on the right-hand side of the website and make your regularly scheduled purchases, a little bit of money comes back to the show. And that also helps me keep the show up and running. So thank you to everyone who has done all their shopping via the website. I appreciate that very much. And if you want to check out the latest in animation news and other events happening around town, as well as what's going on with the podcast, you can visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash The Animated Journey. You can check out the Twitter and Instagram pages at AnimJourney for both of those. And also I've set up a Tumblr page so you can visit www.theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And if you want to check out what I've been up to lately, you can visit my portfolio website, www.sketchysoul.com. You can check out my Tumblr page, www.sketchysoul.tumblr.com. On Twitter, it's at SketchySoul. And on Instagram, it's at Sketchy underscore Soul. So thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you to everybody who has written me via email, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I enjoy hearing all of your stories, and I'm glad that all of you out there are enjoying the podcast. I enjoy bringing it to you every week. And I'm having a really great time, and I'm glad that all of you are having a great time listening and learning from all of the guests. And I wish all of you out there success in your artistic journeys as well. So until next time, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.